Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers and supporting and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. Advocacy and activism starts with conversations. My legacy is not going to be one of sitting around and saying, oh, well, that's just the way birth is. We can't change the system. Let's raise our voices while raising our vibrations. Trauma work isn't all dark and shadow. We can find light in without making light off. I want you to find growth, passion and purpose. Go back to the love, the joy, humanity that brought you to birth work in the first place. This podcast is also available in video format where guests have said, yes, let me be visible. Head on over to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Erin Bow. Now, before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a review? I want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as I possibly can. Now, to do this, I need reviews. Reviews help the algorithm and they show the podcast to more people. There is no money in this for me. This podcast is just a small part of me being the change I want to see. It's also an excuse for me to shift out of mum life for, you know, an hour or so and have meaningful conversations with other grown-ups who are not quite as invested in fart jokes and Paw Patrol. I love stories. This is why I do what I do. This is why I do this podcast. Sharing stories can be such soul medicine. I really do believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support, a sounding board, and a circle, either a physical one or a metaphorical one for storytelling. Have you ever heard someone speak and just thought, oh my Lord, I need this person in my life? Mars Lord was a guest recommended to me by a few of your listeners, and I'm so grateful. My favorite mentors in life have been women who are epic storytellers, who make difficult topics easy to talk about by being warm, passionate, and funny as fuck. Mars is a mother of five, a grandmother now too. She's been a doula for 15 years and she's a glorious speaker and activist. Maternal and infant mortality rates for black, brown, Asian and indigenous people are increasing. Black women are now five times more likely to die than white women in pregnancy, birth or within those first 12 months. Mars talks to us about how the reasons that black women are dying haven't changed and yet the system and the people supporting them hasn't changed to acknowledge that they're dying. You think about other health crises in the perinatal period, like cot death or SIDS. When we found that putting babies to sleep on their tummies led to cot death, we started putting them on their backs and infant mortality rates dropped. When we found out that smoking makes small and premature babies, we started anti-smoking campaigns and infant morbidity associated with smoking reduced. Mars talks about what it means to be a non-racist versus an anti-racist. If you're not okay with racism, assault, obstetric violence and coercion, then be more public about it. If you're not okay with birthing people and babies dying, then what change are you actioning? Mars can be found at marslord.co.au.
www.marslord.uk or on Instagram at underscore marslord. You are more powerful than you know. If birth workers and the people they serve can remember that they're powerful, then we will change the world. <laughs> That's a big deal. It is. It's um, it's all the love without the extra bits, you know, <laughs> keeping him alive, keeping him fed, keeping a roof over his head. No matter what, I can just love him. Are you expected to know all the things all the time, though? Are they kind of like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they stayed with me before he was born until a couple of weeks after he was born. And um, they kept saying, no, no, we're not, we're not going to stay. We're not going to stay. We're not going to stay. And then they had the baby and I heard them saying, oh, thank God we stayed. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of cool. But yeah. So yeah, I do get lots of calls. So mum, is this normal? He keeps moving in his sleep. Yes, it's normal. Aww. Is this normal? He does this. Yes. But I remember my niece was the same. I remember with her first, she phoned me and she said, he he doesn't throw up and all my friends' babies throw up. So is he normal? <laughs> like, it's very normal. He just doesn't throw up. She's like, oh, okay then. <laughs> so there we go. Aww. That's babies for you. Beautiful. Babies. <laughs> Shall we get you fired up and start talking yes. about some juicy things? I mean, we can do the chat about the weather and all that kind of stuff, but I'm fairly confident. Oh, it's, it's, it's shocking. Let's just not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must be early for you. Yeah, it is. Can you tell? I'm in the dark office. My children aren't even up yet. That's how early it is. Like, oh, wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, there's very few people I would do this for, but I'm like, no, I'm going to cry if I can't get this woman in my life. So. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And oh, thank you for like, getting so, up early. so needed. I think um, I've been talking to a few different people about, you know, different things to do with trauma and bias and language and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And Oh, it's just so freaking heavy. Yeah. And whilst I definitely want to not, I, my stuff is all kind of like finding the light in, not making light mm -hmm. off. So yeah. I think uh, trauma is not an easy, sexy thing to sell. And I think no. a huge part of my stuff is trying to get people to go, oh, I could <clears throat> participate in that and I'm not necessarily going to walk away feeling yeah. the most horrible white person that ever existed. So yeah. to, I guess, keep people kind of in a space of like, all right, yep, there's some serious, serious stuff going on that we need to like chat about mm. in terms of, oh my God, just all the things I'll, I'll, I'll contain myself a little bit, get a bit <laughs> talking about these things. Uh, but I guess, yeah, finding some, I want people to walk away feeling like, oh, okay, yep, I don't need to be so nervous, so scared, so mm. about all of this. Um, I'm sure you've heard this a million times too, but I think a lot of what happens with doulas and midwives, obstetricians, I've got a mix of people listening, is they kind of get a bit, oh, I don't know if we should be doing activism. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But because that kind of stuff, I want people yeah. getting in there and going, no, you're not going to do you're it. You're the perfect people to do it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Bless I don't you. really have a plan. I don't really have set questions. I just like to talk. Let's just chat. Yeah. Shall we do that then? Yeah. Let's just chat. All right. I love where just chatting. Want, where do you want to start? <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Mm. Where do I want to start? I know. Mine? Sorry. No. <laughs> So, okay. Actually, let's, let's start with that point about why activism. Because mm. I think that's, 
I think that's an important thing to talk about. Why activism and why me? And when I say why me, I mean why any of us, why all of us. So the reason I became a birth activist or or realised I was a birth activist and became more of a birth activist was when I saw the statistics that were released by the Embrace study in the Mm. UK literally a year ago, Mm. sort of a year ago, a couple of days. And um, the study showed that black women are five times more likely than white women to die in the perinatal period. Yeah. Pregnancy, birth and in the year post-birth. And also that our babies are 203% more likely to die before their first baby, their first mm-hmm. birthday. So I had, I had for a long time been looking around the birth world. I've been a doula now for 15 years. And I was looking around the birth world and I kept thinking, why are all, well, I knew why, but why are all the babies white? Why are all the mothers white? Why are all the, you know, the smiley midwives white? Where are black people? Where are Asian people? Mm. So I started out on a, a mission to um, colour in the landscape of birth. So I kept challenging people. So that, you know, why, why don't you have any black imagery? And why, when you do make the shift towards black imagery, why is the black image always next to the negative, mm. the negative story? Why is it always next to the stereotype? So why can't we have happy, smiley, fat black babies happy black mums and happy black dads because the narrative doesn't suit you when you see our families as they are so why can't we have more of that and people were sort of oh my god here she goes here she goes (laughs) here she goes and i I was like they they said well i i don't see it and i said well no because you see yourself exactly and because you see yourself reflected you don't miss yourself but I'm a mother of five and I want my children to see themselves reflected, but I don't want my children to see them. So an example of a negative picture was, um, and I spoke to them about it, uh, La Leche League had put up a, they had some black imagery on their website and it was a beautiful mother and daughter, older woman and her daughter with baby. And the picture was next to when your family don't understand when relationships break down. And I was like, nothing in this picture screams miscommunication, lack of communication, relationship breakdown. This picture screams of, oh, thank God my mum is here. Yeah. Now, so people think that's all they have to do, just quickly check in a black or Asian face and that's fine. But nobody thinks about... eating a salad or looking out the window going... Mm. Yeah. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> and so, sadly, you know, that was like, well, that's the job done. We'll, we'll tick the box. Um, and the, but the more I looked into it, the more I talked about it, the more I saw that, you know, that really was, and I knew, but I wanted the entry point really, that it was very much a surface level thing. Mm. So I thought, okay. We need to look into this some more. Now, a few years ago, when I read the birthing stats, maternal mortality, it was the black women were two to three times more likely to die in the perinatal period than white women. So we come forward a couple of years to Mm. 2018 and black women are five times more likely to die. And I thought, hang on, Mm. wait, 
this stat has more than doubled. What has changed? Mm. The reasons for why we um, are more at risk or the reasons given for why we are more at risk haven't changed. So the reasons given are one that uh, we're more likely to suffer from pre-existing conditions like hypertension and obesity. Two, we don't access antenatal classes, therefore antenatal care. And three, we're um, at the bottom end of the socioeconomic ladder, so we're too poor. <laughs> so we're too fat, we're too black, we're too stupid. Put that in the brochure. We're too poor, right? And it made no sense to me because there is no way, no way that the majority of the globe, because the majority of the globe isn't white, but you know, I thought just mm. put that out there, are designed to die at such rates. Mm. And to believe that they are speaks to eugenics, which is the, uh, the movement that says that white bodies are superior in every mm. sort of way. So if that can't be true, there has to be a reason for it. Why are black women in the West mm. more prone to hypertension, etc.? Why are Asian women twice as likely to die as white women? Why are mixed dual heritage people more likely to die than white women? So it's got to speak into the system. Mm. Now, this is where we can all be activists. A lot of people, they think, well, God, when you talk about these things, Miles, you make me feel guilty. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, if you feel guilty, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you kind of need to look yourself in the eye, look in the mirror and say, why do I feel guilty about this? Because mm. so many people say to me, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I'm like, that's great. That's good for you. But the system and the structure is. Yeah. So you're, you're sat there patting yourself on the back because you're not racist. Mm. But you're not doing anything yeah. to prevent the racism in the system. So you need to be anti-racist rather than non-racist because non-racist mm. is passive. I'm all right, Jack. And that's why we're all in trouble because everyone sits there going, I'm all right, Jack. Yeah. And um, anti-racism is like, whoa, hang on. We need to change this. This isn't right. So everybody can be an activist. So if you're looking at it and thinking it's just me, why is she saying this about me? Then there's obviously something in you that needs challenging mm. that you need to change and I can't change it for you. Mm. If you go, oh, crap, yeah, I'm a bit culpable of that. And I know that the system we're in, now we're getting somewhere mm. because it's, it's about the wider thing. But if black women are more prone to particular symptoms, if Asian women are more prone to particular symptoms, then why aren't we dealing with those symptoms? Why mm. have we gone from two to three times more likely to five times more likely? Mm. I became a grandmother seven weeks ago. Yes, you did. I did, I did, I did. I, do, I have five children. And this is just one of my children that started her family. <laughs> I don't want any of my children to be in the 10 times more likely statistic. No. So if it keeps increasing and if all we keep saying is, well, they're too fat, they're too black, they're too stupid, they're too poor, mm. then nothing will be done. When we discovered that lying babies on their back to sleep and the campaign, gosh, it was when my oldest, who's now 27, it was when he was a baby. Um, they discovered that when you lay babies on their backs, and I think it came from your side of the world, mm -hmm. that the, the stillbirth rate, the cot death rate dropped by 75% mm. in a year. 
So we discovered there was a course on causality and decided to do something about it. Mm. When we discovered that women or people who smoked tended to have smaller birth weight babies, what did we do? Mm. We educated people on the dangers of smoking whilst pregnant. I mean, it wasn't that long ago before you went to the doctor and thought, have a cigarette and you'll feel fine, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons I like watching old movies is seeing the things that they do. And I remember in Hairspray, they do it so well. Then you've got this pregnant woman sat in a bar drinking cocktails and having yeah. a buff, you know, and it's, you know, and cigarette packets that had, you know, doctor's ads on them saying, you know, this makes you feel better, etc. Yeah. But of course, we learned that that's not true. So then we threw resources and time and education into it mm. and we made sure that people knew about that and what happened now far fewer people smoke when pregnant, mm. even post pregnancy as a doula, the number of, of people I've seen that have given up smoking partners that have given up smoking in the run up to conception mm. or on discovering a pregnancy that have just given up smoking yeah. or certainly cut it right, right back is incredible because we know it's bad. Mm. So where are the resources that go into the communities and reach the black and Asian families that say, listen, I don't know what it is about you coming here, living here on our diet. It doesn't suit your body. Mm. and you're more prone to diabetes so what can we do so I recently read a study about type 2 diabetes but it was about men it was sent to me by a past client and it showed that white men did well on the the regime they were put under for treating diabetes but African men did worse mm. so we know that different people different bodies like different foods and yeah. respond better to them so perhaps what we need to do is instead of doing more research papers and more PhDs yeah. that are stuffy books on shelves, yeah. because we've got loads of those and we've yeah, had we those do. for ages, but nobody's reading the things. No. Oh, almost said something else then. Excellent. No one's reading the fuckers. They're just dusty on a shelf somewhere. Mm. I've done my PhD, da-da, which is great and a fantastic achievement. Mm. But if it just remains a book on a shelf, then it changes nothing. Mm. For 40, 50, for decades, birth workers, black and brown birth workers have been saying, we're dying at unacceptable rates. Our mm. rates of maternal death are much higher. And we haven't even looked in detail at the morbidity, the near misses. Mm. Oh, I was lucky. Mm. So who should be an activist? We should all be activists, doctors, doulas, midwives. Mm. We should all be activists because surely the reason we're in this world of birth is because we love birth yeah. and we want to see people and their babies come through whole and healthy. Why else have we got all the interventions that we've got? They weren't, mm. you know, well, all, most of them weren't designed to cause us trouble. Mm. They're designed to, you know, take a pretty well-oiled machine and, Oil it some more. And I say that because the cesarean rate has gone up, the induction rate has gone up, but the maternal deaths don't seem to be particularly going down. I know, it's kind of like getting a bit 
I wonder sometimes actually, like when brand new shiny students are like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to do baby work. It's amazing. And then they sit there and they're like, oh, oh, like what are, yeah. what are we even telling them? Oh, this is yeah. like what birth is. Like, sorry, you're going to have to toughen up a bit. Like, yeah. what are we telling them? I've, I've met so many uh, people that have gone into midwifery uh, with the aim of, you know, working with babies and seeing happy, glorious births. And within a few years, they've walked away from the field because actually it's, it's not pretty. Mm-mm. And it should be. Mm. It should be glorious and it should be incredible. Mm. But what we've done is we've taken something and just tried to refine a physiological process, mm. but walked into a world of fear and litigation and made it a prophylactic process. Yeah. I'll keep doing these things to prevent that happening rather than saying, well, let's, you know, let's see where we go and okay there's an issue let's deal with it we're too busy trying to deal with issues before they become issues creating brand new issues Mm. now i think medicine is wonderful and i think doctors and midwives and all of that are wonderful but sometimes everybody just gets a little bit too gung-ho and the worst statement i've ever ever heard oh quite apart from the do you want a dead baby card, which is played regularly is the, but we, the medical professionals want a good outcome. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) What do you think the parents want? Mm. They want it far more than you do Mm. because this stays with them for their entire lives. So what can we do to be an activist? It's simply about stirring that pot and saying, do you know what? these things are unacceptable and we need to change them. Mm. How are we going to change them? So I met a fantastic obstetrician um, recently. We both uh, met on the same radio show that we'd asked to been asked to appear on. And then we met somewhere else. And then we met again on a radio station. I was like, okay, you know, we're obviously supposed to be in each other's circle. Mm. And she's an obstetrician, an African woman. Dr. Christina Ketche, who is working really hard to close the disparity, the gaps, Mm. to ensure the health of black and Asian women. And the very first time I met her was when I was in the hospital with a lovely young Asian couple who were being treated badly. Mm. And um, so I... I get really super duper lovely and um, <laughs> yeah, it's either, it's either that or get thrown out because I'm killing people left, right and, and center. And you're an aggressive, angry black woman. We don't want that. Oh honey, I'm totally, totally living with the title angry black woman because actually I'm fucking furious yeah, that we're dying that. at such rates. Yeah. So it's like, you want to label me angry? You've got me pegged because I'm yeah. really angry about this. But so, but yeah, it's about sort of managing the space And then having had a white doctor come in and really talk down to this couple and say, well, we are going to do this and we are going to do that and we are going to do the other, the end. Mm -hmm. And this couple are like, well, we had a bad experience the first time. This is why we've got you, Miles. And so, because we've got you, we're going to say to that doctor, back up, Mm -hmm. give us five minutes to think we make the decisions here because it's our baby. And the shift changed and the lovely Dr. Christina Ketche came in. And she talked to them and said, well, actually, all seems well. I would like it if this baby was out within X amount of time, she said, because 
a couple of things that I'm not completely happy with, but you seem to be cracking on. So I reckon by the time I get back in an hour or so, mm. you'll have had that baby. But if you need me before, call me. When she left, this couple are just like, oh my God, this woman is amazing because <laughs> she looked at them. Mm. She listened to them. She heard them. Mm. And she treated them like equals. Yeah. She didn't talk down to them at all. Mm. Changed the atmosphere in that birthing room completely. Mm. When she popped back in later, they're holding this baby that's born vaginally. Mm. And they're absolutely over the moon because the first baby was a cesarean because they felt pushed and bullied into it. So this, and it, this wasn't a, we're going to have a vaginal birth at all costs, but we want to have a vaginal birth. If we can have a vaginal birth, let's have it. And she came in and they, they oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. She's like, oh, I didn't do anything. You did that. How hard is it to mm. leave agency in the hands of the parents? Mm. Even if there's something that, that might need to happen that isn't great. Mm. that maybe they do need a cesarean maybe it is going to be an emergency cesarean. maybe they will need forceps maybe they will use need von choose maybe they will need induction but how hard is it to make people feel heard and safe and valued yeah. in that space mm. and so i talked to to dr christine afterwards i saw her in the corridor and then when i saw her at the radio show she walked in i was like um, and um, I said to her, what's the difference between you and, and other doctors? She said, I don't know. She said, I just think it only takes an extra five minutes to be nice. Mm, not even that, I'd imagine. Right? Yeah. And she was right. That's all it was. Because actually, she wasn't really saying anything much different to the doctor that had come in before her. Mm. She just spoke to this couple. So if you're a doctor or a midwife and you're working with birthing people all the time with these women having their babies, then surely your activism is saying, do you know what? I'm going to treat you like you are the most amazing person in the world. Mm. Every time. Now, I don't, I don't think that doctors, midwives, doulas go into do harm. But sometimes we do because we don't listen. Yeah. We don't, maybe we've had a long day. Maybe the shift has just been a shift too far, the shift from hell. Mm. But for me, it's painful when a client phones me up and says, please read the email I sent you. And I read the email because we can't talk. And I read the email that was sent five minutes before mm. saying, the racist midwife that booked us in and treated us awfully is in charge of our care today. Yeah. And I had a cesarean last night and everyone treated me wonderfully. And she is pushing me around and examining me really roughly and talking to me like I'm stupid. Mm. That's, that shouldn't be my job no. to sit and stand guard mm. over a couple who should be enjoying those first hours and moments and days of their baby's life. Mm. And so for me as a, as a doula, as a black doula, as a birth activist, 
advocacy becomes more important now we people we all define um doulaing in different ways and over here in the uk we're not we're not advocates we're not there to speak for the parents etc and yet black and asian women are dying because they're not being heard so i need to switch on my advocacy for them mm. so if you're a doctor or a midwife you can switch on your advocacy for for these people you know that are more at risk i have this gorgeous actor friend nicholas pinnock and he says we were chatting in his kitchen one day uh i told him to make bread just thought i'd put that out there um, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> yeah, but i have to say he's much better bread maker than me now he puts all sorts of stuff in it i'm like oh my god what did you do and he's like oh yes this is a little olive and onion bread that i just threw together oh, anyway lovely. i know so we were chatting in the kitchen and he said if we all he said there are all the different isms all the different forms of bigotry all the different forms of vulnerability and he said if we just looked around the room and said you're the weakest you're the most vulnerable you're the most at need so we are all going to lift you up mm. and once we've lifted you up we're all going to look around the room again and say oh now you're the most vulnerable you're the weakest you're the most in need let's lift you up mm. now imagine if we did that for the lowest in our society and let's face it, in the West, the lowest in, the, in society are going to be are more likely to be the indigenous people, the black, the brown, you know. If we treat them well, if we can treat them well, mm. surely all of society benefits because if they're the lowest mm. and we treat them as though they were the highest, yeah. then what are we doing for everyone else? Mm. Society improves when we include when we bring everybody in when we don't judge because of how you look what you say what your skin color is where you're from mm. if we remembered that people were people and this isn't about being colorblind because that's a stupid statement <laughs> absolutely stupid statement <sighs> talk to someone who's colorblind who puts on those glasses and they suddenly see all the colors mm. how the world is enriched by seeing colors Mm. And I've always said it's not about not seeing colour. It's about what you do when you do see colour. Mm. Do you discriminate? Do you make assumptions? Do you add people to the negative stereotypes and tropes? Do you listen to someone like me who says, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. Oh my God, you're such a bullying, angry black woman. <laughs> yeah. There was a, an Instagram post and it was quite problematic and lots of black people brown people said i find this post really problematic and the woman who owned the account said oh well i don't see it like that this is how i meant it to be this is how it should be and then another black woman said yeah but it's really problematic and this is why it's problematic and this is why it's triggering and this is why it's hurtful and this is why it's insulting and um all of a sudden then in come the fragile brigade stop bullying her no one's bullying her they've they've said this is how it makes me feel mm. and she said, well, it doesn't make me feel like that and if i don't feel like that then it's fine yeah. even though the majority of people were saying it she did eventually take it down but it took a long time you know and actually taking it down what 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 did someone tell me that that was called oh a dirty delete <laughs> i was like oh what and she said it's a dirty delete when people, instead of saying, do you know what? 
I got that wrong. Mm. And here's why. Well, quickly hide it and, mm. and shove it away and not talk about it again. Because actually what that does is it leaves the people going, oh my God, look at the way they hounded that poor woman, how she had to delete this amazingly beautiful post mm. from her Instagram account because everybody makes it about race. <laughs> you know, so to be an activist is to challenge those things. To be an activist, to be sort of on the, to be the oppressor is to say, do you know what? I got it wrong mm. and I'm learning. Okay. I'm sorry. Mm. I think that's a huge, huge part of it is so many people just, uh, I don't know, we've been conditioned to kind of be, oh, it's, you don't make mistakes. Yeah. I think like the higher kind of up you are in mm -hmm. like birth work, the more likely you're going to get sued. It seems the less yeah. likely you're willing to say, oh, probably wasn't my best decision. Oh, yeah. Probably could have done that differently. It's just like, yeah. Oh, Nope, nothing to see here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a huge, huge problem. I, I see it a lot also just in trauma things in general when people are kind of like, oh, well, if I had, you know, those types of clients, whatever those types of clients, mm -hmm. even whatever trauma, oh, I would know. Oh, but I haven't gone and done any extra training in whatever it might be, trauma. Yeah. We like saying we're trauma informed, but it's like, well, what kind of trauma and what information and what how are you yeah. acting on it? Yeah. I see it as, oh, but I don't want to get it wrong. And I'm like, well, getting an acronym wrong is like one thing. Like, yeah. you know, if you're so worried about that and yet we go back to like the, like babies dying, yeah, women dying, you can get yeah. an acronym wrong. Like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to yeah. make mistakes. Why are we so yeah. funny about making mistakes? I know. And the whole discomfort thing. So I was uh, speaking at an event because people seem to like me speaking at events. And I spoke at this event and I said, and one of the things I say when I start is I've no time for white fragility, white tears, white centering, white mm. saviorism and white discomfort. I said, I'm 52. I've sat in my discomfort for 52 years. <laughs> you can sit in your discomfort for an hour. Yeah. You know, and people say, I don't like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, that's great. But she's dying. Yeah. So if we're going to weigh things up, I'm thinking her dying is just a little more important mm. than you feeling a bit ouchy inside because mm. you're not being perceived as perfect. No one wants perfection. Well, we all want perfection, but no one wants perfection. Mm. We just want loving, dignified care. Mm. We want to be heard. And, you know, we joked earlier about me being the angry, aggressive black woman. But imagine you're talking to a doctor or a midwife or a doula. And you're saying, I, 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 I disagree with that. Mm. And then bang, you're being aggressive. Bang, you're mm. being angry. Bang, you're being bullying. So what do you do when, tr when people say, well, if you're going to behave like that, I'm not going to be able to treat you. Mm. I'm going to withdraw treatment. I'm going to refuse treatment. So what do you do? You go quiet <laughs> and you become a good girl. Mm. And then you're more likely to be abused and you're more likely to walk out with trauma if you walk out at all. Mm. So we look at 
trauma-informed care. But before that black or brown or indigenous woman has come into the maternity system, what has she lived with from birth through to that point? Black women live on a really high level of stress, even when we don't think we do, but that's because you're so used to it. Yeah. You kind of don't know it's there. Microaggressions. All yeah. those little times that, you know, your cortisol fires up and you feel attacked. Yeah. Somewhere, shape, or form. And people are like, oh, but you're angry. I'm like, well, I wonder why. lost your sound can you hear me oh am i there yes you are now i thought you were just taking okay. a really long dramatic pause no, hang on. i was i was i was i wasn't <laughs> i i pressed i pressed something me and tech i'm gonna leave that right there so i was i talking of microaggressions i had um a client who was talking to me about my family now, I have five children, and of course, I'm a black woman. So the first question is, oh, are they all yours? Not from this client. <laughs> like, Sorry, are they all same father? And it's like, yes, because contrary to the narrative that you have out there, black women aren't fecund and black men aren't bounders that get you pregnant and run away. Yeah. That happens in all groupings all yeah. over the world. Shits are shits, whoever they are. Right? So I'm talking to this client. And I happened to mention that I, um, that I was divorced. And she said, oh, what does their father do? And we just talked a little bit. And she said, of course, you know, those men, they just abandon and they take no responsibility. And I suddenly thought, oh, she thinks my ex-husband's black. So I said to her, yeah, I said, of course, one of the hardest things in our marriage was the fact that his family were really racist and couldn't cope with my black skin. And the shock, horror mm. on her face when she realized that my ex-husband was white and she had put on him all the stereotypes and the narrative within her mm. as to what black men were like. Mm. Conversation changed really quickly after that. <laughs> but, you know, it's constant. Mm. It's just an assumption. It's just an assumption. So these black and brown and indigenous women, before they've even walked into the maternity system, are living with this all the time. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, oh, you speak really well for a black person. Oh, my God. What does that mean? Oh, my God. Oh, you're quite good looking for a black person. Well, what does that mean? You're quite fucking rude for uh, whatever you are. <laughs> well, I did, I, I, I did end up saying that as I got older, but of course you keep hearing these things and my parents' generation, they just wanted to get by. Mm. So, yeah, keep it quiet. And then my generation were like, hang on. No, mm. I don't like that. And now my kids' generation, I'm like, so where's your girlfriend from? South London. No, no, I mean, where's she from? From <laughs> Dulwich? No, more specifically, East Dulwich? What's her country of origin? What's, what's her family background? And it's because she had this unusual name, and I was trying to place which 
sort of where in the world the name would have come from. And he went, oh, she's from Ghana. I was like, thank you. You know, and it's lovely that they're there, that they're at that mm. spot, but it's very frustrating for me. But so they speak up a lot more. Mm. And I've taught my daughters particularly that they don't need to be polite. Mm. So my, I, I always tell stories uh, to illustrate my point. So my, my eldest daughter, when she was at uni, worked in a supermarket. And this guy kept coming in and asking her out and asking her out and asking her out. And she was having to moan to me. And I was a bit tired and fed up of hearing the same old story about this guy coming in and asking her out. And I really flippantly said, oh, why don't you just tell him you've got a boyfriend? You did not raise a strong, independent, young black woman to tell some man she can't be his property because she's the property of another. And I was like, so ashamed and so proud. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's the difference. That's the difference that's coming. I think the internet's been wonderful for black and brown people because actually we're beginning to see that I'm not the only one who feels like this. Yeah. So our voices have started to join together and now everyone's going, oh, hang on. Oh, we don't like this. Mm. It was all right when they were being good, but now they're not, now they're not being good anymore. Mm. Now they're questioning the status quo. And it's not because we want to replace the oppressor. That's because we don't want the oppression. Mm. We want to be able to walk alongside each other. So we should all be activists. We should all make sure that, do you know what? Am I thinking that because of that book that I read that said that black people experience pain in a different way to white people, am I not treating this, this person because I believe that subconsciously? Am I making sure to diagnose this person well? Sickle cell thalassemia but sickle cell in black people hardly taken seriously i mm. just recently lost a friend to sickle cell and she was in her 50s and had never been diagnosed with it been told that she had a trait but that was it but she mm. kept getting ill and every time she got ill nothing would be done but there was nowhere in her records that said that she had sickle cell mm. because it's not something that's particularly looked at unless you're within the black community and you're looking at it. So those are the kinds of things we need to change. We mm. need to think about things like that diabetes study. And if diabetes studies show that white men do better on the protocol than black men, then what do we change about the protocol so that mm. black men do better? If black women are five times more likely to die, what do we need to change within our system, within our practice? Mm to ensure that they don't die at greater rates. Any loss is an awful thing. And I know that it's important that people remember that maternal mortality is quite low. Mm. But if within that low statistic, you are at the highest risk, yeah. that needs looking at. And we mm. can't just sort of say, well, we're not going to talk about that because actually it's not that important because the, the rates are low. Mm statistics only work for statisticians yeah that's right the people who are the statistic i had a woman call me and she said that she went to her doctor five times because she was fitting after birth and the doctor told her it was stress <laughs> and i said you need to go back to that doctor and you need to say this i do not wish to be 
the five times more likely. Yeah. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Because the doctor wouldn't even refer her to, for tests or anything. Just said, nope, it's just stress. Bye-bye. Well, in that case, we'd all be walking around. Fitting. Yeah, and that yeah. would just be like a normal thing. Like, oh. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we need to deal with the trauma that these women, these people suffer during birth. Sometimes mm. people have incredibly great births from the outside. Yeah. But actually, they've walked away really, really traumatized. Yeah. It's, uh, so what are oh, we going to do? Oh, you've got a healthy baby. Oh, you've got a healthy baby. I would really like us to have a proper think about, like, what is health? Yeah. And also... Yeah. In a way, so what if I've got a healthy baby, <laughs> if I'm broken? Exactly. If I'm damaged, mm. if I'm no longer healthy? Because yeah. that baby's not going to stay healthy uh-uh. if I'm broken. Mm. My family is not going to stay healthy if I'm damaged, if I'm broken. Mm. And, you know, I, I was talking to um, this amazing woman, a mummologist she is on um, Instagram and full disclosure she was my client years ago but you know she's an Asian woman and she's a psychologist and I said to her where are the black and brown psychologists because actually why would I as a black woman, woman want to talk to a white woman about my trauma if it's especially if it's race based mm. if they're going to tell me not black women all women Mm. so you've silenced and erased me Mm. and now you're going to tell me that you're going to help me heal Mm. when the biggest part of my trauma is being ignored because it makes you feel uncomfortable yeah so how do you become an activist Mm. you look in the mirror and you say well one thing can i change in my practice what one thing can i change Am I sat around having a coffee in a a staff room on a break or talking to someone as I'm walking along? Oh, well, you know, those people. (laughs) Those people over there. I love that. They do this. Yeah. They behave. They exhibit. They, they, they. We need to stop othering people. Mm. I hear all the time. So I was told at the hospital that, that, that this is what I need to do because the doctor said if it was their wife, their mother, <laughs> their sister. And I think, well, one, it's not. But if you can say that in a threatening way, hmm. so this is what you should do, I would just, then why can't you do it in a loving way? Oh, my God, if you were my mum, you were my sister, you were my daughter this is how I would treat you. Mm. Same coin, flip side. Yeah. You know. So uh, that's a lot of what I do at the moment. And that's hugely, hugely important to me. Mm. You know, because I, I don't want to look around in a few years and go, how the hell did we get to 10 times more likely? Yeah. And it's a real possibility. We were talking before also just about near misses and the i worry Mm. about the funnel of people who are in the like oh but you didn't die oh okay and then we give it 12 months all right well you haven't fallen you know to maternal suicide 
So if that doesn't get you, then the suicide doesn't get you. You know, we've got postnatal depression actually peaks when your oldest child is four. So let's like, we're talking about like yeah. the life cycle of five years. If you make it out alive after five years, but, oh, but you've got a healthy baby. Yes. <laughs> And it's, it's awful. And, you know, even simple things in the way we talk. Well, I've delivered 100 babies. Have you? Mm-hmm. Did they come with baskets and bows? Mm-hmm. Are you the stork? Because mm-hmm. last I looked, that person there was the one going through the labour and that person there was the one birthing their baby. I can't stand it when you see those news articles. Like, oh, you know, here, this big thing about, oh, when an obstetrician delivers like twins, vaginally and you're like i'm sorry you did what what did like where's the mum where's the mum where is she all of this did did she not rock up that day no she just left her body and put it somewhere and then someone removed and then oh it's just yeah the way that we talk about birth is like oh wow yeah something done to you instead of like where's the parade where's the yeah yeah we're supposed to be the support team You know, we're not the birther in that instant. We're the support team. Mm. We're there to say, oh, you're doing bloody great. Or that's looking a bit tricky. How can I help you through this bit? Mm. You know, just, I don't know, just when I supported a stillbirth, I remember that one of the things that the mum said all the way through the labour was, I just want my baby to be born with grace and dignity. Mm. We knew the baby was dead. She knew the baby was dead. But it was just as important to her in birthing her stillborn child, mm. who was still born, yeah. that that little girl had a graceful and a dignified entrance into the world. Mm. I hate that phrase. Oh, leave your dignity at the door when you come in to have a baby. Mm. Why? Yeah. Well, so many people are going to be up your vagina. Why? Mm, I, was at a, I was at a birth last year, earlier this year, when um, a doctor who hadn't even met my client particularly um, was insistent that he did a vaginal exam. And my client said, no, the, the midwife has been doing it. And if you want it checked, I would really rather that she did it again because mm. I hate these things. And she's amazing, really gentle hands. And the doctor said, but I need to know what's going on. And the husband said, well, the midwife will tell you. Mm. And the doctor said, okay, fine, and walked out of the room. And as he walked out of the room, he said to the midwife, you go back in there and make sure that I do that vaginal exam. Mm. So he came in, wore my client down, did the vaginal exam, walked off, and we never saw him again. So what was that about? Did you just need to shove your hand up a woman's vagina? Mm. Because we didn't see him again at all. Hmm. Yes, you seem to be progressing. And then he was gone. Mm. Well, the midwife could have told him that. Hmm. Not all doctors do that. Hmm. Hmm. That one was the first one I felt like chasing down the uh, corridor with a steel pan. But um, <laughs> to play bingo, it's like, right, five points. I've done that today. Otherwise, yes. I'm not yes. useful. Oh. And yet, a simple thing like saying, okay, I'll, I'll, let's hear what the midwife says. Because the midwife didn't call him to do the mm. vaginal exam. The midwife knew where this client was all the way through. 
he just decided that he needed to know what was going on in the room and the only way he could know is if his hands were inside the mm. woman. And when we treat people like that, it's more important that I do what I do and I know what I know than I speak to you and hear what you want. I've, I remember a doctor saying to my client once, if your doula says you need a cesarean, then you know you need a cesarean. Because we'd, she'd come to the place and it's such a gorgeous doctor. He sat down with her for ages and said, listen, I really, really feel that we need to get this baby out now. He said, I'm really concerned about the, the D cells and the dips. I'm really concerned about what I'm feeling and the way your, your womb is getting. He said, I can, I'm feeling bandles ring. And um, she said to me, what do I do? And I said, what do you want to do? She said, and they'd, she'd been laboring for two days, I think at this point. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you want to do? She says, well, I don't want to have a cesarean if it's not necessary. And so we talked about it and I said, well, there's nothing wrong with having a cesarean. If for some reason your baby has chosen that way to be born, a cesarean birth is as valid as a vaginal birth. And the doctor went, wow. I said, what? And he said, I don't think I've ever heard a doula talk about uh, cesareans <laughs> like that before. And I went, I'm sure we do. And in the end, my client, after a couple of hours, she said, do you know what? She said, I do want a cesarean. Mm. Because I don't know if it was that she needed permission mm. to do that because she, her heart was so set on a vaginal birth. Yeah. I mean, I go in and I say to them, listen, I can't promise you the perfect birth. I'm not going to do these things. I can't make these things happen. Mm. But if you're informed and you use informed consent, then you'll get a good birth. And I supported that woman again a couple of years later when she had her next child. Same story. Mm. This baby just was not coming vaginally. Yeah. And she was absolutely and i use this phrase and someone told me off for it because language doesn't translate in this uh two countries that speak the same language i said oh she was absolutely gutted but glad and i realized afterwards what they heard was that gutted like a fish oh, yeah. and i meant gutted as in damn it yeah <laughs> you know but she was she was really she was really disappointed mm. but if you talk to her now and i still talk to her she'll tell you that she had two good births mm because she made the decisions and we all listened to her. So I'm like, if you want an epidural, you have an epidural. I'm not going to stop you from having one. I'm going to, you know, remind you of the pros and cons, but the decision mm. is yours because it's you and your baby, not me and my baby. Mm. If, you know, if you decide you want to have a cesarean, I'm not going to say to you, oh, you can't have a cesarean. I mean, I'm a doula. Mm. We don't do cesareans. No, you know. we do walkouts. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> And surely that's all activism is, is listening and changing the things that aren't working, mm. tackling the system, because the system is big. And I had a woman talk, she's known as a birth guru, and she was selling one of her books and she laughed and she said, oh, I can't change the system. We can't, the system's too big. It's, it's not something that you can do. And I sat there thinking, the fuck are you saying? Mm. 
if you join with you, who joins with you, who joins with you, who joins with you, who joins with me, who joins with you, who joins with me, then we change the system. We change the system maybe one birth at a time, maybe one hospital at a time, maybe one country at a time. Mm. But we change the system. And the system has to change because black women, brown women, our voices are loud now. Mm. And it's like, no, we don't want any more of your PhDs. Mm. And we're totally fucked off with your research, which keeps bringing you back to the same place. Yeah. What we want is action. What we want is to know that when we put our bodies in your hands, we take them back mm. and we come out of here alive and healthy. Mm. Serena Williams is a morbidity statistic. Yeah. Beyonce is a morbidity statistic. There are incredibly wealthy, intelligent black women in the States who are the statistic mm. because despite being at the peak of health, mm. despite going to all the classes, despite having lots of money yeah them and all their babies have died mm. eric garner in the uh, states the the black man that died at the hands of the police his daughter died months after she had her baby mm. if you think of the cumulative stress that she lived with yeah. And then the stress of what happened to her father. Mm -hmm. And now she's pregnant and she has a baby and she died. Yeah. So we need to look at the whole. We need to look at the system. We need to look at where people are, have come from. And we have to stop doing this top-down thing. Mm -hmm. I've decided that this is what we need to do to save your life. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to do to benefit you. Mm -hmm. We complain that people don't come into us. Does it never occur to us that <laughs> maybe we should go out to them? Mm. And what about the, the ethnic groups, the cultures and the countries where family is so integral to everything? Mm. Where a baby's born and a thousand people appear and then the yeah. midwife's like, you're only allowed two visitors. And there's like a whole crowd of people yeah. coming in. So if you've got, cultures where it's this huge family thing then why aren't we tailoring our education to the family mm. rather than just the couple mm. so that practices that might not be the best can be dealt with and people can say oh actually yeah it, it, it isn't a good idea to do that thing that we do i mean <laughs> I love my mum and the older I get the more I like her I get <laughs> oh no <laughs> she's like, your mouth and your mother comes out yeah. yep she's like the baby's teething rub a little rum on him gum a little rum it's like um I'm I'm not sure I want to put neat alcohol on my newborn baby's gums yes it's fine you know just things yeah she's not there you know Pour, pour him a glass and watch him swig it like, or anything. No, but not she's Scottish like, people like in my family in the past. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, knock the baby out with some opium. You know. Wow. So if you think about what we used to put inside of baby's bottles. I know. A little nip of this to help it sleep at night. Mm -hmm. A little a little bit of cereal to, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Mm. But 
there's always that aunt, that mum, that uncle, that sister, that cousin mm. that has got the outdated and or dangerous piece of advice. Crying so is we, good for their lungs. Just yes, leave them. Oh, yes. You know the baby's healthy. You can hear it crying. It's like, <laughs> well, I knew it was healthy before it was crying, but you know. But you know, if we educate the family, mm. if we bring the family into the process, then those things don't happen. If we educate the family, then instead of being told, no, just listen to what they tell you, do what they say. Mm. And we'll just pray that you come back to us. Yeah. You say, no, you can question these things, you know. It's not true that that happens. That mm. doesn't have to happen. No, we don't have higher pain thresholds. No, our skin isn't thicker. Mm. You know, and we can... As surgeons, we can look at black skin and think about keloid scarring. Do some research. What is keloid scarring? Why does it affect these people? And what are the adverse effects of it? Mm. So what can I do? How can I operate so that this woman doesn't get keloid scarring in her cesarean section? Simple things. Mm. To be an activist, you can march with banners. You can sit in high profile government meetings. You can change one thing in your practice. Mm -hmm. Everyone can do something. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can change the freaking imagery on your Facebook page or your mm -hmm. website and make, but don't do it to tick a box. <laughs> mm, make yourself feel good. Yeah. As this um, woman, I think she's American, Rachel Cargill. She's on Insta as well um, and Facebook and places like that. And she says that um, to just make a place diverse without dealing with the racism brings black, black people into unsafe, violent spaces. Mm. So if you're going to make your website diverse or make your website inclusive, then make sure that you deal with the implicit bias and the racism that you hold mm -hmm. and don't be afraid of it this fabulous doula i remember there's this huge to do with the doula organization i used to be a member of and i left because it's like well if you're not gonna make it safe space for black people then i ain't gonna be there see ya and she said your tone is wrong if you said this better you know, then it would be easier for us to deal with. And I'm like, mate, you, we didn't say very sweetly, please, could you release the chains that you've put us in having enslaved us? Thank you very much. Have a we rose, Yes, we rose up, we fought, and we broke free. Anyway, 18 months after this big to-do and her explaining how it put people like her off because our tone was wrong even though no one was shouting <laughs> and, and no one was actually being toneful in any way. But basically what that means is, you know, you're speaking to somebody white and you're not supposed to talk to me like that is what tone policing is. Anyway, after 18 months, she came back and she said, listen, don't hold me up as an example, but that stayed with me. Mm. And I looked around my house and I looked at my bookshelf and I looked at my child's bookshelf and I looked at the toys and I looked at the things that we watched and I looked at the places that we went and I've put myself on a journey mm. and I'm learning to decolonize my mind. 
she's not perfect, mm. but she's changed something that has impacted her life, mm. her partner's life, her child's life, mm. and the lives of the people she comes into contact with. I recently ran a reproductive justice retreat, and one of the testimonials is that this retreat has changed the lives of the women I haven't met yet. Mm. And when we change our practice, when we become birth activists, we change the lives of the people we haven't met yet. Yeah. I mm. mean, how fabulous is that? That's so good. That is so good. I know. I'm just playing with an image in my mind now, you see, now that I said that. Because, you know, as when you carry your girl baby, when you carry a baby with ovaries, she's got all the eggs mm. that she's ever going to have. Yeah. So imagine if that's what our activism is. Mm. In starting our activism, we're incubating a life with lots of eggs mm. so that See, it will work eventually in my brain. I'll go away. I know, I can see your face. You're like, I'm just about to get to a gold nugget. I haven't quite polished it yet, but it's it's nearly there. But it's kind of there. Yeah. So you heard it first. You heard it first. We'll use it as a soundbite. Yeah, we'll get (laughs) it. But, you know, it's like when we change, the lives that we change and the lives that those lives will change – Someone asked me why I do this, and and I said, well, it's not for the money. (laughs) I said, and it's not for the fame. I said, you know what I want out of this? What I want out of this is legacy. Yeah. I don't care if people have forgotten my name in a generation. I mean, I'd be a little bit pissed, but I'd be a bit dead, so maybe it wouldn't matter so much. But, um, you know, but I want to leave behind people who are doing the work and doing more than I'm able to do in 2019, mm-hmm. 2020. I want to, I've decided I want to re- retire into my lovely beach home in St. Lucia and I've got my rocking chair on the sand looking out to sea watching beautiful rusters go by I told you I've got it all planned yeah and I want I want to be visited by different people from across the world and I want to hear about the things that they're doing Mm. so I want to hear about my legacy how this conversation that I had with someone this podcast that I did with someone else changed one life that changed a thousand lives, that changed a million lives, that dismantled a system, you know, because that's what it's about, making the change and just, you know, making sure that we are all treated with grace and dignity. And Mm. when I talk about black and brown lives and them mattering, it doesn't mean it's because I don't think white ones do. And I don't that's think anyone would ever make. get that from you. I think this is this is why so much. I'm like, I don't think anyone like is going to get that. Oh, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> okay. <In> my moments. <laughs> no, um, but you know, but it's not fucking pie. Hmm. By wanting the best, black women are dying, and I want to see that stop. Hmm. I certainly want to see the disparity closed. Yeah. I was at a, um, the first ever black maternal conference in London, uh, early in September. The conference is about black maternal health. Mm. The conference is about the fact that black women are five times more likely to die than white women. 
a senior NHS midwife, cuts through the question time, hasn't submitted a question, hasn't waited to get the mic, and explains why white lives are as important. I'm thinking she didn't read the program that's talking about a very specific thing. It was awful. It was awful. I, my face told a different story, but my body sat there calmly. <laughs> I because, the collective. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I'm not saying that white bodies don't matter. What I'm saying is that black ones suffer more. Mm. So I'm looking around the room. I found the weakest the most vulnerable and the most in need mm -hmm. and I want to raise them up and if by raising them up it means that you become the weakest the most vulnerable and the most in need well now I'm going to turn around and make sure that I lift you up mm. and we're going to keep going until we're all lifted up you treat a black woman well you you treat the black women the brown women the indigenous women in your care well you will heal your society mm -hmm. You know, because these are the least. And if you do your best for the least, surely it's win, 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 win. Yeah. 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 Thank you. That's all right. I just wish her on. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, this is a problem. I'm just so happy to sit and, like, have the chat. I just don't want you sitting here for three hours without a paper. <laughs> well, you know, I have been known to... Um, <clears throat> chat for three hours <laughs> but yeah I think I think it's important I think the conversation needs to keep going I think we know that the issue is there mm -hmm. now we've got to decide what we're going to do about it mm. Take time to move today's conversation through your body. Get up, go for a walk, have a shower, dance in your kitchen, cry, do something to shift any tension that might have come up. Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, of course, is out now. The link is in the show notes and you can also head to drerin.com.au. Early bird prices will be up until the end of 2019, but as of 2020, the price is going up, so don't dawdle. Hope is a doing word. My hope is that warm, empathic, intuitive workers will stay in birth. But we need to do something. Take a big step and work on some of the fears that you have. To stay in the helping and healing professions, you need to level up your self-care and support. And if you're struggling to even do Human 101 with your sleep, nourishment, rest and so on, how are you going to serve anyone? You owe it to yourself and the people that you serve to make sure that your cup is running over and you are thriving. If you want coaching to live a life that you don't need to escape from, then reach out to me, drerin.com.au, or you can find me at drerinbow on Instagram. Thank you so much for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable and grow and learn. I love it. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work. <laughs>